That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call the prestige. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to another episode of Does It Hold Up? The podcast where we talk about some of the best movies of all time to see if they still hold up to today's standards. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And this week we're going over 2006's The Prestige. Ooh, magic. Wait, why am I ghost? I don't know. know. Ghost magic. It's not even the magic that happens in this movie. Ooh, fake magic. (laughs) Uh, This is directed by Christopher Nolan, one of the greatest working directors right now. Yeah, maybe maybe one of the greatest of all time. Eh, I don't know if he's quite there yet. He's getting there. Each new movie he makes, he he moves up the list a little bit. So I'm not sure. At least top 50? Oh, easily top 50. What do you think? Top 25? Yeah, probably. Top 20? Uh, yeah. Okay. 15? Well, it, it, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know about, how far I can push it. Yeah, I don't know about 15. But yes, Christopher Nolan, you may know him as the director of the Dark Knight trilogy, Inception, Interstellar, Memento, and his newest movie, Oppenheimer, which if you want to know what we thought about that, we Too liked bad. it. <laughs> we liked it. It was probably my favorite movie of the whole year so far. I think it's a masterpiece of theater and cinema. And if you don't see it in theaters, shame on you. It was definitely made to be seen in theaters. Shame on you. In fact, try and see it in like Dolby or something like that, where you get the super Does experience. Dolby pay you? I feel like every time we talk about movies, you're in like seeing them in theaters. You're like, you have to see it in Dolby. Do they pay you? No, I wish they did. But it's one of my favorite ways to watch movies in a theater. Like the visuals are better, but the sound and the vibration, it really gets you into that. (laughs) Do you have secret money coming in from them? I don't know about. I wish. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Pay me Dolby. (laughs) It is. Every time we talk to anybody and we talk about a movie in theaters, you're just like, you have to see it in Dolby. And people are like, what the hell is Dolby? And you're like, it's IMAX, but like better. It it is 100% better than IMAX. Oh, absolutely not. That's an argument for a whole 100% better. Anyway, so yeah, Christopher Nolan directed this. One of the greatest directors working today. Uh, Probably the greatest director of our generation. I would assume so. I'm terrible at directors, but he's the one I actually know about. He's that one of those started ones, later. He transcends just being a director. Like he's a name people know. There might be like some of your favorite movies and you have no idea who directed it because they just did one really good movie where he's a little beyond that. Like was, Roland Emmerich. He's <laughs> well, he's made a lot of movies. Everybody knows. He has only Christopher Nolan has only done 12 films. Oppenheimer is his 12th feature film. First of all, that's crazy. For being such name recognition and only having 12 movies under your belt, you're just staring at me blankly. Because well, I'm trying to figure out who is the director who said he was only going to do 10 and yet everyone knows Quentin his Tarantino. Name. Yeah. Yeah, but that's exactly it. We put him on that level. Tarantino's, I mean, Spielberg, he made Jaws and everybody was like, well, damn, pay attention to this guy. Nolan came out and his first uh, feature length film was Following, which is fantastic. Then he did Memento, which people went gaga for. Not Lady, but other things. <laughs> then he did Insomnia. And three movies in, that's all he's done so far. And he gets hit with Batman Begins. He brings us one of the best Batman ever in a movie. One then he my, does my favorite Batman. Then he does this movie, which is his fifth feature film. Follows it up with The Dark Knight, then Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenant, and now Oppenheimer. Tell me one bad movie in that list. I can't because there's three of them that I don't actually know. And then one that I know is a good movie, but I didn't personally care for. Wait, which one? Interstellar. Oh, well, you're just you're blatantly wrong on that. I said it's a great movie and I can say that. I just personally didn't care for it. Can you it. stop being wrong? That would be wonderful for the podcast. That is a movie right I things. fell asleep in. Oh, that's that's so... And I don't fall asleep in movies very often. I know we don't have like a lot of listeners, but why do you embarrass yourself in front of the people that actually do listen to this (laughs) by by admitting to such things? I'm being real. Oh, yeah, totally. But it's just crazy. His movies, 12 of them, actually 11. 
I don't know. Oppenheimer's not included in this number. His 11 movies so far have done almost 2.2 billion domestically and 5.15 billion internationally. That's insane. For 11 movies? For 11 movies. That's it. For comparison, just because I thought this was fun. So he did a Batman movie, which is part of DC Comics. They have their entire universe of movies, the DC Extended Universe, which currently has 12 movies, if we don't count The Flash, which I don't count because it was still in theaters. It's still doing something. Yeah. So I'm not including that. Out of those 12 movies from Man of Steel to Wonder Woman 1984, Mm -hmm. or Suicide, whatever their most recent one was, 12 movies, 2.58 billion domestically. How did such a franchise, it's the DC Comics franchise, it's supposed to be massive. It barely pulled in more money than Christopher Nolan, who we both have said makes his movies. Movies he wants to make. And if people see him, great. If they don't, great. Because he makes masterpieces and the DCEU is anything but. Uh, yeah, because DCEU's made like $6.6 billion worldwide. He's made 5.15, like it's only a billion off. They have one more movie under the belt and more recognizable IP. Don't get me wrong. He has Batman in here and they all made a bunch of money, but it's still, why couldn't the DC just copy what he did? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I felt like taking a shot at DC with this, but I figured because he did those movies, it made sense in my head. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Let's talk more box office stuff. So this movie had a budget of $40 million. Domestically, it brought in $53,089,891. Low box office. Yeah. Definitely got a second life after the theaters, though. Oh, I don't doubt. All of a sudden, people were like, have you ever seen this movie? This movie's so good. Internationally, $51.3 million for a worldwide total of $104.4 million. That's yeah. low. That's real low. I feel like his early career was geared towards hipsters being like, have you ever heard of this guy? You're lame if you haven't heard of this guy. I heard of him before everyone else. Sure. Uh, you can have your opinion. I don't know about, I mean, he did He did Batman before this movie. I said his early career. This is, this is his fifth movie ever. This yeah, is his early. that's not super early. We're still technically in his early career compared to a lot of other directors who have like 30 plus movies under their belt. Uh, He's got 12. Uh, yeah, this is still early in his career. So I think that's low. Like Oppenheimer just opened to under $100 million, to just under $100 million. And it's over $100 million already. This movie only made 53 in its entire run. Now, adjusted for inflation in 2022, it would have been about $85 million, But that's what Oppenheimer just opened to. Mm-hmm. Is that a sign of people knowing the director now? Or do we think Oppenheimer just could draw a better crowd than Wolverine versus Batman in Magic? <laughs> uh, I think it's a very various things. Like... Definitely the director having a name now, like a big, big name now, and the just insane cast that they got for Oppenheimer. I mean, all of Hollywood. That like, wasn't in Asteroid City, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, they could be in Asteroid City and this, probably. There's a few that probably did. Listen, if Nolan calls you, you just say yes at this point. Yeah. He just commands that. In 2006, with that $53 million, this movie ranked 56th overall. Oof. For that year. That's absolutely asinine. And in 2022, it ranked 25th overall. So more than doubled its place. It's pretty good. It was a sad year last year, apparently. <laughs> I mean, we were still coming out of the pandemic. So yeah, it was definitely a sad year. You can say bit. that for the next however many years. Oh, we're still coming out of the pandemic. Well, not really. 2023, we've had some hits and some misses here, but it's shaping up to be a decent box, uh, the, office, box year. office year. Like I said, if you remember the episode we did not long ago, um, I don't remember. Did we put that out as a podcast or did we only do it on YouTube where I predicted the box office? I think we did it as a podcast, right? I think so. If not, go check out our YouTube. Go check out our YouTube. Check it out. I predicted the box office for the year for 25 of the biggest movies that were going to come this year. And I said we're going to do about $9.2 total in 2023. We're about on track for that. I think we're actually a little lower. I think it's about 9.1 is what the estimated total box office is going to be. Well, you didn't see Flash bombing. Tanking so hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be a good thing. It's not going to be like our heights of 12, 13, 14 billion, but it's not going to be our lows of like 5 billion only. So box office is bouncing back. Last year, not so much. I think it only did like six something billion. Mm. 
All right. This movie is all about magic. It's Hugh Jackman versus Christian Bale, where they're magicians in like what 1920s, 30s, 40s. Think so. I have honestly no idea. Whenever Tesla was around, I don't know. Yeah, but who knows? This doesn't even have to take place in that time because clearly nothing about this is real. When you throw a name like Tesla, it's got to be when Tesla was around. That's fair. So they are rival magicians who fight because Christian Bale, who plays Borden, accidentally killed Hugh Jackman, who plays Angier's wife. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to fight. They're going to be rivals for the rest of their life, trying to one up each other with magic. With the help of Michael Caton, if the if the promotional material for this movie, I don't remember it from 2006 being promoted all that much. I remember seeing like a poster here and there, but I don't remember trailers or anything like that. If they were not pushing this as Wolverine versus Batman with Alfred, they were doing it all wrong. It's hard because you don't always want to be known for those roles. So they were doing something quite different from those I understand that the roles are different. Obviously, it's not actually Wolverine, but you have the actor who plays Wolverine, who's loved. You have Christian Bale, who played Batman in the in the Dark Knight trilogy by Nolan, who's loved. If they weren't pushing those two going against each other, Marvel versus DC, superhero versus superhero, with magic, they did it all wrong. And I wonder if that hurt the box office. Maybe they just promoted it in a really weird way. It could be. So, the box office wasn't great. The story's a little weird. Did that affect the critics? A little. Okay. The cinema score had it at a B. So mm. about what they were thinking, but not no, that's didn't low. live up to their expectations. It's, let me just tell you, knowing cinema score, having done deep dives into it, B is low. You do not want to be. If you are a big budget blockbuster coming out in like summer or, you know, main part of the year, you don't want to be. It's B plus or higher or you're failing. I mean, this wasn't a big blockbuster so mm. b might be okay 40 million budget that's that's a mid-level budget i mean it's not a superhero franchise but you're expecting a good return on this you want you want better than a b yeah that's fair uh ebert ended up giving it three stars okay and i grabbed a long quote from him so bear with me christopher nolan's the prestige had just about everything i require in a movie about magicians except the prestige We are instructed at the onset in a briefing by Michael Caine that every magic chick consists of three acts. One, the pledge, in which a seemingly real situation is set up. Two, the turn, in which initial reality is challenged. And three, the prestige, where all is set right again. An example, not one used in the film, would be one, a woman, and it's always a woman except for Penn and Teller, who is placed in a box. Two, the box is sawed in half, and the halves are separated. Three, magically, the victim is restored in one piece. The pledge of Nolan's The Prestige is that the film, having been metaphorically sawed in two, will be restored. It fails when it cheats, as, for example, if the whole woman produced on stage were not the same one, so unfortunately cut in two. Other than that fundamental flaw, which leads to some impenetrable revelations toward the end, it's quite a movie. Atmospheric, obsessive, almost satanic. That was the longest quote you have ever pulled for any of these movies. Ebert's, okay, give me the Rotten Tomatoes and then we'll go back to Ebert. The critics from Rotten Tomatoes have it at a 76%. Okay. The audience has it at a 92%. That's not surprising. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a fun watch. Maybe not the best watch. Although I'm so a little surprised because it's really pretty and a lot about it works. So I'm surprised that the critics don't like it as much. Yeah, I might have to do a deep dive onto why they don't like it. Look through some of the reviews, see what they were saying. Let's go back to Ebert. He's wrong. (laughs) He's wrong. This movie definitely has the prestige, the end, where it goes back to status quo. I Okay, let me rephrase that. It goes back to normalcy. It might not be the status quo that we set up at the beginning of the movie, but it definitely goes back to normalcy. And I think he's overlooking that. This isn't the type of movie that you're going to just tie everything up with a pretty bow and everything's going to be back to normal by the end, where everybody's happy and living their life or whatever. That's not the point of this movie. And therefore, this to me almost seems like a... I've seen... I I love magic. I love magic. You know this. I watch magic all the time. My entire personal TikTok is just magic videos. Love them. But there are magicians out there whose whole purpose is to, quote, mess up the trick. 
Mm-hmm. They're not interested in, I saw a woman in half and now I put her back together and yeah, everybody clap. It's more like, hey, here's a beautiful woman. I put her in a box. I sawed her in half. I tried to put her back together and it didn't work. Okay, just push her off stage, move to the next trick. That's the that's the gimmick of them. That It's the mess up of the trick. And then the woman will eventually come out later, blah, blah, blah. But maybe that's what Nolan was going for here. Because this isn't a movie you can just get back to status quo. I think they weren't able to get back to the status quo because you have real magic by the end masquerading as science. Well, it's definitely science. Mm-hmm. Science. Yeah, science that can clone things. It's science. Tesla invented it. It's science. <laughs> That's why they used his sure, name. Sure, but even even taking the clone stuff out, Angier clones himself, meaning he's still Angier. So you still could have gotten back to status quo. My issue is if you go back to just what we were at the beginning, then what was the point of watching a two and a half hour movie? Yeah. And so I, I don't 100% agree with, I agree with his stars and I'm sure I I read the rest of his review and he says good things in it. I'm sure he just got a little messed up talking about this particular section. And I don't think he quite understood what he was trying to say, or at least he didn't say it in a way that makes sense to people because it doesn't work. At least makes sense to you. Does not make sense to you. It, it does not make sense to me because what is the point of watching a movie if by the end we just end up back at the beginning? It's yeah. not, it, this movie's not a magic trick. <laughs> this movie's a movie. It's a movie. So I, I don't agree with him at all. I haven't agreed with him a lot lately and that's strange. It's very strange. Maybe you're pulling bad quotes. Do oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Do a better job. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's do this movie, The Prestige. I like the start to this movie. Nolan loves playing with time. When when does things happen? What order does this story take place in? He he loves playing with things out of chronological order, and that's exactly what happens here. Because we start the movie in a trial, and the trial is for Borden, Alfred Borden, played by Christian Bale, on trial for the murder of Angier, played by Hugh Jackman. And you're like, how the hell did we get here? <laughs> we needed that narration over top being like, this is the worst day of my life. But how did I get here? Yeah. God, where's that from? Uh, It's in Megamind, but it's in a ton of things. So that's where we start. And it's good. And then we do get narration. But we get narration from the always wonderful Michael Caine telling us all about what you just said. What magic is. How magic works. What are the three acts to magic? It's interesting. I like the narration. It's very interesting for someone like me who does not know a lot of magic that is okay not knowing it, (laughs) but knowing it now kind of makes more sense. Well, you still don't know magic per se. You just know the three elements of a good magic trick. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Nolan wasn't going for a good magic trick. But what do you think about starting at the trial? I both like it and don't like it. I'm not a big fan of movies that do jumps in time and goes back and forth seemingly at random and this movie in particular i did have issue knowing when we were at any given moment that's fair better or worse than social network following the story because i know we covered that like two weeks ago and two or three weeks ago and you hated it honestly a little worse in my opinion since there were no visual clues as to when we there were weren't any i mean you said in the podcast there weren't for any social network either there was a little bit No, you said there were none. I said, depending on what side of the table he was. Yeah, that's nothing. I remembered what side of the table he was on. (laughs) Oh, look at you getting fancy. (laughs) All right. So something I noticed that as a Magic fan, I really liked. So we get the whole setup. These two dudes, they are Magic assistants. They're plants. They sit in the audience of a guy's Magic trick so that they can be called on stage to do the trick. And they're all in on it. The magician that they're doing the trick with his name is Ricky Jay. He's an actual magician. He's a comedy <laughs> magician who's just, he's been in other movies and TV shows as well. But it's just always fun when it's like, you're doing a magic movie. You might as well get a magician in your movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm shocked I didn't see like a Penn and Teller show up in this. They're almost too recognizable. Right. Do you think it would destroy the illusion of what we were watching to see them show up? Especially because yeah. they didn't exist in the 1800s, yeah. 1700s, 1900s, whatever. And if you have to, like, dress them up to look different, then what's the point of getting them? Ooh, good point. Ooh, point to you for that one. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next thing I noticed is the accents. 
So this it takes place in London or thereabouts. And Christian Bale gets to speak in more of his normal accent. Yeah. Which, but a little more broken and hard to understand at times. I will agree. It was very hard to understand because he mumble talked a lot. Oh, it was so bad. He would like duck his chin and talk into himself for a bit. And it's just like, try again a little louder this time. <laughs> Enunciate. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It just, it bothered me. But then I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so we clearly are overseas because later in the movie, Angier travels to the US to deal with Tesla. Mm -hmm. Why is Angier American when Hugh Jackman is not? Hugh Jackman's an Aussie. So why not let him use his accent as well, which is very similar to a British, I don't want to say very similar, but you know, Australia has its roots in Great Britain. As do most of the world. As does most of the world, yes. But they're very similar accents. Yeah. So why not just allow him to also do it? Why was he American? I, yeah, they didn't give him enough of a backstory to really explain that or have any real impact in that. He just exists. Yeah. Yeah. He's apparently a lord (laughs) that exists. It's just, it's just weird. I don't know. Let him use his accent. You're, you're an American lord. Okay. Okay, so this movie is all about twists and turns and giving you something you didn't know was coming, you know. But it does a really good job of foreshadowing what's coming, which blows my mind because the first time I watched this, there were a couple things that happened where I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Ooh. And then you watch it for a second time or a third time or however many times and all of a sudden you could point out every little foreshadow and you're like, damn, that's so good. This is my, I think, second viewing of this. I don't fully remember my first viewing, so some of it was a shock to me again, I guess. But I did find myself looking for those bits of foreshadowing this time. So one of my first notes is during that trial, the guy with the child, I'm like, is that his brother? (laughs) And yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) I want to run through. Okay, so let's just run through a lot of this early part of the movie. Because I do want to get to all the twists and turns and how they were foreshadowed because that's the part of this movie everybody remembers. Nobody remembers the random going to see the Asian magician fishbowl trick. Turns out it was Hugh Jackman's accent, which was the Asian thing, he, where he pretended to be frail. Oh, so it was, it was part of his character. It's part of his character. Oh, no. American. <laughs> I don't think they thought that far ahead. <laughs> but so... These two magicians, during the first time we see them doing a trick together on stage, Christian Bale's character ties the wrong knot, so Angier's wife drowns. She's the she's the assistant. She gets dropped into a bucket of water. Bucket. A big case of water. <laughs> and the whole thing is she has to get out in time, and she doesn't. She drowns. She dies. Yeah. And it's all because of the wrong knot was tied. So that's why Angier and Borden fight. Why they don't like each other. But I have one huge nitpick with this trick. <laughs> so Michael Caine is off to the side because he's the guy who creates the illusions. He's the manager, basically, of this magician. He's off stage and he has a stopwatch so he can time how long she's been underwater so he knows if it's going well or not. And he holds an axe in the other hand. Soon as he knows it's wrong, she's not out yet, he runs out, pulls the curtain down, starts hitting the glass with an axe. Come on, man. You have Wolverine and Batman right next to you. Two dudes who have more muscle than you have ever had in your entire life. Why did you not give them the axe? It also looks like he's hitting it with the side of the axe, not the pointy bits of either side. Well, she was right next to the glass, so it's very curious because I'm like, did he? was he worried if he broke through it right away, he'd hit her? Maybe, but then it's like, back the F up. <laughs> well, she's drowning. She can't back the F up. You can move in water. Yeah, she's unconscious, dude. She's she wasn't drowning. unconscious at that point. What bothers me, though, is he's going to hit it with the broadside. It's glass, man. Flip it around and hit it with the pick on the back. Yeah. What are you doing? It just, this whole part just bothers me. It's like, start with the pick, and then once you got a nice divot in there, then you can use the broadside. I, it's just all wrong, and I feel like this movie didn't need to happen if Michael Caine would have, one, given the axe to one of the younger, younger, stronger men standing next to him. And two, knew how to use an axe. E 100%. Yeah. Then this movie just doesn't happen. (laughs) And I'm like, I can't get past that part sometimes. It happens just not as petty as they end up getting. 
because you know he would still be pissed being like what not did you use yeah but they probably would have just stopped being friends went their separate way and just lived their lives they wouldn't have purposefully like went at each other that's why i said not as petty but not petty at all they would have just left yeah so his wife dies so they separate that magic act goes down but they both still want to be magicians so they set up their own individual shows where they do the tricks that they know somehow Borden goes and does his own thing because he's really good at creating tricks and performing them, but he's not a great showman. He's bad at like doing the whole look over here distraction while I do a trick over here thing. He doesn't engage the audience. He does not engage the audience. But Angier somehow gets Cutter, Michael Caine's character who creates all of them. Why does Cutter go with Angier and not Borden? Because he knows Borden's a risk taker who was challenging his safety on multiple uh, tricks that they were doing. He wanted to do stuff like the bullet catch, even though that's too dangerous. Yeah, but like, if Plus, you go the with guy's him, wife just died. You wanted to help him. Dude, they also go back to work really fast. Or at least it seems like it's it really fast. It seems like they do. So they go, they each create their own shows. They're going back and forth. Every time one learns of the other's trick, they try to do the same trick, but better. That's, that's the whole plot of this movie, is one-upmanship between these two. They are petty. And they keep visiting each other's shows and fucking with their acts. Pardon my language, but basically just messing everything up. Mm-hmm. So as you said, Borden does a bullet catch as part of his show. Well, who shows up? Angier. Who gets picked out of the audience? Angier to fire the gun. What does Angier do? Slips an actual bullet or debris into the gun and shoots off Borden's finger. Tries to just kill him. But, yeah, of course, the brother stops it. Well, of course. So, yeah, the brother stops him, obviously. He doesn't kill him because the movie would end right there. And then Borden shows up at Angier's thing and messes it up. And it's just funny. I know it's not supposed to be funny, but them showing up to each other's shows and always getting picked out of the audience to participate kills me every time. See, it's not even funny for me at that point. It's just, what the heck? Why are they constantly getting picked for their opponent's thing? I know they're in disguise, which isn't that great to begin with. No, the first disguise we see Angier in is like Hugh Jackman with a mustache. It's clearly Hugh Jackman. Like, they don't do a good job disguising them at all. So why do they keep getting picked? I understand him getting picked at the end, very end of the movie. But for these two, I don't understand it. Yeah, it's super weird. It's another part that kind of just kills me in this movie. But they keep going. Borden meets his wife, Sarah, played by Rebecca Hall. He meets a woman, falls in love. They get married. They have a little girl. It's great. Angier meets a woman named Olivia, played by Scarlett Johansson. They fall in love. It's great. Except Angier is just obsessed with Borden because Borden has a brand new trick called the teleporting man or the transporting man. Yeah. And Angier wants to know how he does it because it is a flawless trick. He enters one door. He bounces a ball on stage, enters a door, comes out a door all the way across the stage to catch the ball. And Mm -hmm. Angier can't figure it out. So what does he do? Something stupid. He sends his lover, Olivia, to go work for Borden to get his secrets. But the trick is, Borden will never trust her. So to get his trust, she must give Borden Angier's secrets to develop a relationship. Yeah, has to tell him the truth. This is dumb. This is, this is a terrible plan. Especially when you have Cutter over there telling you exactly how he's doing it. Yeah, he uses a double. No, he doesn't. It's something different. It's, it's, it's not a, real magic. It's a double. Yeah. But what happens? Olivia ends up falling in love with Borden. Go figure. Yeah. Just gotta love whoever you're with. So she leaves Angier so she could be with Borden, even though Borden's married to Sarah with a kid. Mm-hmm. Which is just super convoluted in and of itself, but it, it happens. Their rivalry keeps going. Angier gets a little desperate and he kidnaps Borden's assistant, whose name is Alfred, which is weird. <laughs> just weird. Batman, Alfred. Mm. And there's a other Alfred that was in Batman. Yeah. Nolan couldn't come up with another no. name. Nope. Any name. Nope. No. Okay. But he kidnaps Alfred, the assistant, and buries him alive. And is like, Borden, I'll tell you what where he is if you give me your secret to the trick. So Borden writes down a word, hands him back a piece of paper, starts digging out his assistant. And Angier's like, I have the secret, I win. What's the secret? Tesla. 
which is supposed to be the code that cracks the notebook that Olivia has given him mm-hmm. as a final, like, you know what? Bye. Here's your stupid notebook. I'm out. I'm out. Peace, bitch. <laughs> so he gets it, realizes he's talking about Tesla, the inventor who's in America. So Cutter and no, just Angier mm-hmm. goes to America even though he tells Cutter we're going to go to America. Cutter tells him obsession is a young man's game. Oh, right. And that's why so he stays he behind. chooses not to go. But Angier goes to America to meet with Tesla, who's working on Tesla coils and, you know, AC alternating currents, which is what he's famous for. Tells him I need magic. I need a magic trick that can blow everybody away. I heard you made one for this other guy. Make I, one for yeah. me. Funny thing is, though, Tesla is like, I don't know who the f- that is. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So the guy may or may not have done it, but, uh, you know, it'd be a lot of money. So give me all your money and then we'll see about what. But he does. He builds him a magic trick, which is a bunch of Tesla coils shocking an object. And then the object is supposed to teleport somewhere else. But it, trick never works. He can't get it to work. He can't figure out what what's going on. Yeah. The object is always right there. Where? And, yep. And nothing, nothing happens. Never moves. Yeah. But they realize it's because it's not teleporting. It's being copied. It's duplicating. Whatever's in the machine gets copied, and that copy gets dumped a certain distance, distance away. away. Yeah. And how do they discover this? They find a bunch of Angier's hats just littered in the backyard. And two cats. But did you guys never go outside? Like, there's tons of hats here. You didn't look outside one time and be like, whoa, why is all the hats out here? Yeah, especially since Angier's the one who finds it. And he's like, well, he was leaving the one way out that he knows. You never go that way, even to let him in. Yeah, super weird, right? But I guess the cat might have drew him over. Who knows? Well, he definitely sees the cat and then sees the hats afterwards. But I don't care about Angie. You're saying it. Just what the hell, Tesla? What the hell, Allie? You're Tesla's assistant. You guys never go outside. You never look out a window. No. It wasn't like they were two miles away. They were like 100 feet Turns out they don't have much vision left because they keep looking at lightning. (laughs) Not wearing glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Lab safety, people. They are blind. For all intents and purposes, they are blind. (laughs) But he does. So they realize it works. Not in the way they initially intended it to, but it works. So Angier's going to use it as a magic trick. He's going to teleport himself from the stage to somewhere else in the theater that he's at. Mm -hmm. Problem is, what do you do with the original copy then? The one that's in the machine on stage. That was definitely the one that I got had to question. Okay. Because I did not. Well, tell them what happens first and then we can question it. Well, he creates a trap door Mm -hmm. so that the one on stage will fall. Yep. And then the other one would, you know, appear somewhere else. Turns out he just put his tank of water underneath it and trapped that person inside. The original. Yeah. And kills him. Every night he does this trick. And he kills the original and becomes a copy. For a hundred nights only. But the copy is has like all the memories and stuff. Like it's a perfect copy. Yeah. He is for all purposes the original Angier, even though the original Angier is drowning in a tub of water. We never know. I, that's his whole statement. It takes courage because you never know if you're going to be the one to appear or the one to fall. I mean, you're always going to be the one to fall. We know this. He doesn't know how the science works. That's true. We don't know which one the original hat was. Maybe the original hat was being teleported and the new hat was what was left in its place. Exactly. So we don't know if you're the man in the box or not. Yep. That's how he does his magic now. And Borden is like, holy crap. This is like the best magic trick I've ever seen. I need to figure out what's going on. So one night he visits the auditorium, goes on stage to check out the machine, sneaks off stage, goes under it and watches the original Angier drop through the hole, get trapped in the water and drown. And what happens? He, People catch him down there. Albeit when he's trying to save him, apparently. Well, he's definitely trying to save him. Yeah. He's like screaming for help and trying to save him. But he was basically set up because the cops arrest him for murder. Dun, dun, dun. And thus the beginning of the movie. And yes, now we're at the trial and he's charged with murdering Angier. He is found guilty and sentenced to death by hanging. And this is where all the magic happens right (laughs) here in this movie. This is where all the magic happens. This is that if this was a crime show, this is 
This would be the summation. This would be Adrian Monk telling you how everything happened and how he got to where he solved the crime. I feel like it should have been in black and white. So we find out that Borden isn't one Borden. There's two Bordens. Dun, dun, dun. His assistant, Alfred, was a twin in disguise. And they went so far to keep this up that when he got his fingers shot off by Angier, the brother then chopped off his fingers so they could still match. That's how far they took this. It was the idea of you have to live the lie. You have to always be in character on show. They went so far as to drive the wife so mad that she takes her own life. Oh yeah, I was just about to bring that up. they drive Olivia away as well because they don't know why one day you love me and one day you don't. Yeah, that's a heartbreaking part of this movie. When the wife, Sarah, who's married to one of the Bordens, questions him about why, when he says, I love you, some days he means it, and some days he doesn't. And she's, I think she's on to him. I think she knows there's something weird. Maybe she hasn't 100% figured it out, but she knows something's going on. Mm -hmm. Then she catches him in an affair with Olivia, the assistant, and hangs herself. This is not something I saw coming in this movie. No. I thought she would leave him at bare minimum. Although every time we flash forward, I was like, where is the mom? What happened to her? Why is she not around and taking this child? Even even if they wanted to kill herself, I didn't expect it to happen in the way it did. So she goes into Borden's workshop, his magic shop, and hangs herself. And we get a shot of all the birds in the cages, like squawking and freaking out. And we get an image of just her feet dangling. And you're like, oh, okay, that's, we know what happened. We don't need to see it happen. We know what happened from the imagery. No. Nolan's like, I'm going to scar you motherfuckers for the rest of your lives. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out and I'm going to show you this entire image of this woman just hanging to death. For like a full minute. Oh, yeah. They don't cut away. There's no music. There's silence. It's just her hanging in his magic workshop. It is depressing and like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, she's just swinging It's there. unnerving. Yeah. I did not expect that. Sure, her killing herself, fine. I I can live with that. But the way they show it and they linger on it, that's not something I thought I was going to get in a magic movie. No, this magic movie went way harder than it ever needed to. Yeah, which is, I think, what I like about it. Yeah. It's not kiddie. It's not cheap. It's, like, real. That, and I really love the premise of these two magicians just straight up feuding. Yeah. Like, having to be better. And that is what obsession is. So Olivia doesn't figure it out. But one night when she's hanging out with Borden, after the wife has died, she's like, you know, you haven't talked about her in a while. And he's like, why should I talk about her? I'm with you, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, dude, that's like cold. That's a little too cold hearted for me. I'm out. Yeah. You could be saying this to some other chick at a different place about about me. me. And so she up and leaves, which is great because now Borden's alone. Woman power. Yeah. So... At the trial, that's when we find out he's got the twin, and that's why they love two different women. One loved each of the women. But then we find out Angier's still alive, because obviously we know that the trick works, that he got teleported, but nobody else does. Yeah. So they're like, oh, crap. Because during that last performance, when Borden finds him drowning, the duplicate Angier never appears, and everybody thinks it's a mistake. I really want to know how he knew Angier was beneath stage was going to get pinned for it and this particular one well angier's the one drowning what are you talking about the other angier he has to appear somewhere else yeah but remember it all they all teleport to the same place every time so if you just move the machine slightly it won't look like any different from previous nights but he'll teleport into a different place just seems odd that he would know that this particular performance he was going to make it downstage because it seemed like he had gone to a few of the performances before i don't think so i do once again hard to tell with the time jumping but we see him before like i thought in a different disguise watching it and then we see the two brothers trying to figure out how he does it and then the one brother's like just leave it leave it alone the other brother i think goes back and that's when he finds him so he had to have seen him more than once. Yeah. So how did Borden know, or Borden, how did Angier know to not- Because he just set it all up. I'm just saying. No, because we see he's literally been killing them the entire time. Yeah, of course he's been killing them. He can't have more than one of him running around. 
But that's why he doesn't appear that night because he, Borden was there. Borden was on stage looking at the machine. Mm. He knew. He set it up for Borden to be there that night. The first night, he knew Borden wasn't going to do anything because you don't show up the first time and then, like, interfere. You need to, like, see the trick and figure it out for yourself. Then the obsession took hold, so he knew the next time he was going to see Borden, he was going to be down there. Trust me. He was smart. He was smart. Seems a little convenient. But Angier shows up in the prison with Borden's daughter. Because just... he is the one that is been paying for all the tricks and everything, trying to be like, you know what, give me all your tricks and uh, I'll take care of your daughter. Through a proxy, by the way. Through a proxy. Owens. But he just shows up and he's like, ha ha, you didn't kill me. Ha ha ha. I beat you. And Borden's pissed. And then... Angier goes and he's like, we shut down the whole show. Everything's done. I'm not doing magic anymore. I'm just going to live my life. Nope, can't do that either. Because while one Borden is being hung for murder, the other Borden shows up at Angier's house and shoots him dead. Mm -hmm. And he's like, ha ha, you didn't know there was two of us. Time bang, to bang. exposit. Yeah. And that's when we get the whole big exposition dump of everything that's happened. And the entire time, Cutter just wants nothing to do with it. He's kind of removed himself from the whole thing. He's trying to get it all to stop, to end. And all he does is end up taking care of Borden's little girl. I think he lets the other brother know what happened. Probably in his, you know, helper makeup. But I think he let him know where Angier was going to be. Maybe. That's, that's the impression I got based on him seeing the, the father again. Borden himself again at the end, getting his daughter back. He knew. Of course he knew. He was with the little girl at the end of the movie. Of course he knew. Yeah, but he wouldn't necessarily know that there was two Bordens. He knew the whole, he said it was a double the whole time. He knew. Yeah, but he didn't know that that he was an actual brother. But it doesn't matter if he's an actual brother or not. He knows that person was close. That person was around all the time. It was, it didn't matter if he was a brother or not. He knew there was a double. That's all he cared about. Mm -hmm. You're reading way too far into it. <laughs> and that's it. That's the end of the movie. And that's where Ebert's like, we don't go back to normal. We cut the girl in half, but we don't put her back together because Angier is now officially dead. One of the Bordens is dead. A wife is dead. Nobody's doing magic anymore. Like, everything's changed. Yeah. I like it. We actually don't know that that one Borden won't continue to do magic. He just can't do the transporting man anymore. No, nah, I'm pretty sure he's out. Hey, they, what else would he do? It caused him so much pain and anguish. Dude, he's going to have money. He's got money from something. You know he does. He's <laughs> they, fine. They messed up the will. He just oh. took Angier's stuff. Yeah. Angier was rich. Yeah. Let's go through the cast. Sure. Because this is a hell of a cast. And I know we mentioned a couple of them while we were talking. But Angier is played by Hugh Jackman. Borden, Christian Bale. Cutter, Michael Caine, Olivia, Scarlett Johansson, Julia, Angier's original wife, Piper Parabo from Coyote Ugly fame, Sarah, Borden's wife, Rebecca Hall, Tesla, this one blew my damn mind, Tesla's David Bowie. Yeah, I did not know that going into Talk it. Talk about magic. I would have never thought that was David Bowie. No. Ever. Allie, who's Tesla's assistant, is Andy Serkis. That one I did notice. He's fantastic. Put him in other things. And then Owens, who is the guy trying to buy all of Borden's tricks while he's in jail, is played by Roger Rees, who probably looks familiar to a lot of people and they can't just place him. He was the sheriff of Rottingham from Men in Tights, Robin Hood Men in Tights. I did not recognize this one either. I thought he looked familiar, but I couldn't tell why. Yeah, I, I like seeing him. He's one of those one of those guys that you can see in things, and you, you can never place where you know him from, but you mm -hmm. know you know him. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. Good good cast. Oh, great cast. Great cast. Which is why I'm embarrassed to do this next part. I'm not embarrassed. The Academy Awards should be embarrassed by this next part. That's a great cast. You already said it yourself earlier that the movie was really pretty. Oh, yeah. Really well done. This was nominated for two Oscars in 2007. For Best Art Direction, Lost to Pan's Labyrinth. Agree because Pan's Labyrinth is amazing. It was nominated for Best Cinematography, but it lost to Pan's Labyrinth, <laughs> which I, again, agree, because Pan's Labyrinth is just such a phenomenal movie. But what else do you think it should have been nominated for? Because that was it, those two. And this movie definitely feels like it should have been nominated for more than that. Well, definitely screenplay. 
Yeah, original screenplay. Yeah. For sure. And then probably acting, uh, I would say probably Hugh Jackman for lead and Christian Bale for supporting. Okay. Anything else? Mm, maybe. Well, no. No? All right. <laughs> so I wrote down every single one that I would have given it and I would have put it in a lot of categories. Maybe not all of them, mm-hmm. but I wanted to go through it. I think directing. Okay. I think there's an outside chance of Nolan getting a nomination for this just because it was so unique and there was so much with the time jumps going on and such an ensemble cast and everything. That's a lot of work for a director to put that all together. For some reason, I always forget that one exists. Best directing? Yeah, which is sex. It's one of the top six. It's weird. Do you know who won that year? Hmm. Martin Scorsese for The Departed. He was never going to lose that. That was like his Lifetime Achievement Award, realizing that, damn, he should probably already have like two or three of these. How have we not given him one yet? Here, just take this one. <laughs> so he was he was never going to win that. I do agree a lead actor should have been nominated here. I don't know Hugh Jackman versus Christian Bale in this. I think Hugh Jackman because he's in the movie more. Yeah, that's why I thought it. But Forrest Whitaker for The Last King of Scotland won that year. And I think I don't agree with that. I think Forrest Whitaker was amazing in that movie, but I don't know. Don't even remember that movie existing. Actor for supporting. I think I'm going to do an outside thing here. I would have nominated David Bowie as Tesla because every time he's on screen, it is mesmerizing. He is completely transformed. You don't see David Bowie in the role and dude's phenomenal. He throws like some real emotion and heart into these things. When he asks Angier, do you know the cost? And Angier's like, money's no object. And he's like, no, do you know the cost of what this could be? And it's just like, oh, it get, it gets me, man. Every I time. I feel like I need to almost rewatch it to actually experience his David Bowie as this character. Yeah, just his parts. Just yeah. like YouTube it, just watch his parts. He's so good in it. So I would have gave it to him. The winner that year was Alan Arkin for Little Miss Sunshine. I absolutely hate Little Miss Sunshine. (laughs) I think it's a trash movie, and I don't think anybody was really that great in it. So I would have given Bowie the win over Alan Arkin. All right. Uh, I don't think any of the actresses were good enough. No, they also weren't in it. Yeah. Like at all. This movie was literally, they were there as cannon fodder to further the men's rivalry. Yeah. That nothing else mattered about them. Costume design. Period pieces, they're always good. Yeah, but it wasn't all that impressive. It just looked very basic. Milena Cananero won that year for Marie Antoinette. Oh, yeah, no, I was not going to win against that. All right. that's I, I still would have given it a nomination. That's what I'm saying. Period pieces, you basically guarantee yourself a nomination and to not get one, weird. Best picture. You think you, think you could have got in? Maybe. I don't know. I, I think this was the year... This was before they opened it up to 10 movies and mm-hmm. they were only doing like five max. And okay. maybe that's why I think if they were doing 10, it definitely gets a nomination. I just don't know. Cause like it doesn't always do 10, but like it can have up to 10 now yeah. where before it couldn't even have like over five, five was the max. Mm-hmm. Now it can be up to 10. Not that they always nominate 10, but I think in 2007, if it was, if they, they could have had 10, this sneaks in a nomination. It could have. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Last one. I definitely agree with you. Original screenplay. Nolan not getting a nomination for his screenplay in this. Travesty. Yeah. You know what won? Hmm. Little Miss Sunshine. (laughs) (laughs) Screw that movie, man. I think Nolan could have gotten a nomination at least. All right, let's go into nits. Okay. Mine is, I think this movie's too slow. There's parts that just drag. Not parts that I want to cut out. Just parts that drag, where I'm like, tighten it up a little bit. It's a little slow. I definitely agree. There's parts that needed to shorten. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I I agree. It didn't need to go, just needed to be less. Yeah. I'm not sure. Just trim everything up. Trim like every scene up by like 15 seconds. Maybe a better movie. Yeah. The back and forth of the storytelling. I don't care about the time jumps. That doesn't bother me. I, I follow that pretty well. The back and forth of it's Angier's story. Now it's Borden's story. Now it's Angier's story. And then back to Borden. That was a little too often, a little too frequent, where it was just like, I never got to spend enough time with one man long enough to give a sh about what was happening. So I think just tighten that up too. Don't jump around so much. I don't mind the dual story. I don't care for the uh, back and forth time. I don't. They don't jump back and forth in time all that much though for me. They do. <laughs> nah, it's not that much. And I just don't like the 
two minutes with Angier, three minutes with Borden, four minutes with Angier, two minutes with Borden. That's fair. Just give me 20 minutes with one of them. <laughs> Just let me actually watch their damn story for a minute. Not enough of these three people. Tesla and his assistant, Allie, and Michael Caine's cutter. Just not enough. Yeah. I understand you can't have everybody be a lead, but Tesla was such a huge part of this story that I felt like we spent the bare minimum amount of time that was necessary when we could have just used a bunch more. I'll disagree with you on that. Okay. I agree with Michael Caine's character. I do not agree with Tessa, Tesla and Aunt Allie because their whole thing was the science and this is supposed to be about the magic. But the magic was science. I understand that, but they did their part. They made the machine. We didn't see have to see them making the machine. I don't need to see them making the machine. I just needed Angier to spend more time with them. He only talked to Tesla like twice throughout the whole movie. And it was just like, it was super weird. I just needed more. I also thought like every time Bowie and Circus were together on screen and they were doing stuff, it was just pun intended magic. And I just needed more of it. So that's a knit of mine. My last knit is when Olivia goes to Borden when she falls in love with Borden. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just don't like it. It doesn't really add much for me. Yeah. So that's my nits. What do you got? Uh, So when Angier is trying to do the disappearing bird trick. Yeah. Or the flattening the bird trick, but to not kill a bird. Yeah. Was the fact that Michael Caine makes him an apparatus and it's like gigantic that he's supposed to wear so that the thing will just let the yeah, bird loose. It. How come you can never see that magic. when he's wearing the suit? Just magic. This is There's nits. no actual real magic. This is nits. This isn't okay, questions. Sorry. I found it annoying that you couldn't see it through the suit. It's There's magic. not real magic. Magic. It's fine. No. Dude, they teleport somebody later in the movie. There's real magic. That's science, like you like to say. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It, just, I, I it mean, bothered it's me because it was like... It's a movie thing. Why? It's a movie thing. That was my main one because I think we went through some of mine while we were talking. I have questions. When do you think the twins decided to become only one person? In the womb. In the womb? I don't know. It's unanswerable. <laughs> yeah. You could also put that probably, you know, let's throw that back into nits as well. Is we just accept that these two have decided to be one person, but at some point they were two people. And I doubt they ever left where they were from. They yeah. didn't travel very far. Somebody should have known they were two people. Yeah. Oh, back to nits real quick too. Uh, just the, the disguises in general. They're all trash. <laughs> Knit of mine. All right, what's your next question? Are we meant to wonder which brother it is at any given time? I think it makes it pretty clear which brother's which. When when it's what brother? When it's either Sarah's Borden or Olivia's Borden? So I had this thought when we're at Angier's wife's funeral mm-hmm. and Borden's like, I don't know what knot I tied. I had the thought, is that the other brother? Did he legitimately not know? Well, sure, maybe in that moment, but he gets asked that question a few times throughout the movie and he never has an answer. He always just backs down and says, I don't know, I can't remember. At some point, if you weren't the brother who tied that knot, at some point, you either fess up and you guys have had a conversation about it or you catch the right brother and ask him the question. Yeah. So... I don't know. It just—it was a thought of mine. Like he legitimately did not know, at least in that moment. Every other time he's asked, it's not as it, he definitely seems more like he's skirting the problem. This yeah. one felt more raw. That's fair. How did they find such a lookalike for Angier? Oh yeah. Okay. So this is in a scene we talked about Angier when he's doing the original transported man when he steals it from Borden, and Cutter's like, "It's a double. We just are going to go find you a double." They find an exact replica. Of Hugh Jackman. Because it is Hugh Jackman. Just with veneers that make his teeth stick out a little. And a bad voice. Yeah. I'm sorry. Hugh Jackman does not look like your everyday dude. There's no way in 1930s London you're finding an exact replica of this guy. It's hard enough to find an exact replica now with the internet. Yeah. I can't imagine doing that just in your town. Yeah, I know stunt doubles and stuff exist. People that looks kind of similar. You can make to look similar. But up close, you could never tell the difference. This was, Hugh Jackman just played both roles. I don't know why they didn't hire a lookalike. Just get his stunt double. <laughs> you could have done a casting call. Find somebody that looked relatively similar to him in the, in the world. Because, you know, it's 2006. We have the internet. You can find these people. Yeah. What else you got? Is anything about Tesla true? No idea. 
like if he lived there or not. He lit up an entire town so he can do his experiments. Well, he drained an entire town. He didn't light them up. Well, he gave them all light so that he could use the generators whenever he pleased. That, yes, that's. I thought you meant at night when he takes all the power to do no. his do his stuff. Uh, yeah, he was a very eccentric man. I wouldn't be surprised if he this was based on stories about him, mm-hmm. but none of this was like a hundred percent true. Well, she got. Did Hugh Jackman take a bit of this role when he did his Greatest Showman? No character. No. No, they're completely different. But the showmanship is exactly the same. All showmanships are exactly the same. You can only raise your arms in so many ways and bow. (laughs) I just, I felt like I was watching The Greatest Showman again when he was performing. I mean, sure. It's it's one guy doing a a showmanship piece. He's going to have similar movements, but no, this wasn't like, he didn't do this role and in his head went, I'm going to play P.T. Barnum one day in uh, The Greatest Showman and I'm going to do these exact moves. Oh, I'm talking about him going for Greatest Showman being like, you know, I did that role one time. Absolutely not. <laughs> Ab- absolutely not. Do you have any more? No. All right, my questions. What's the moral of the movie? Obsession is bad. Is that what it is? I, I think so. I don't I don't know. I watch this movie and every movie like <laughs> tends to have a message or something you should take away. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it for this one. Yeah, basically obsession is bad. Magic is cool. Let things go. Uh, who won the movie? Actor? Who won the movie? Uh, Michael Caine. Ooh. I think he was Outside so chance. great. Yeah. All right. Which character won the movie? The Borden that was left alive. Well, because he's the only one left alive? Yeah. Ah. I think Angier won the movie. I think he got exactly what he wanted. The little twist at the end of he didn't want to get shot, but everything he set up went off as planned until he got shot. And it's only because he was too obsessed to realize that it was a double. So, and you're one. Got, ooh, I still got some more. Uh, what is your favorite magic trick in the movie out of everything you see? Mine? Borden's original transported man when he bounces the ball. All right. It's cool as hell. Yeah. I love trapdoors. Trapdoors are great. I wish like everyday life just had trapdoors because they're cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, mine would be the bird trick where the bird actually lives. Okay. Because I thought I thought it was really cool how they made the machine so that it would pull back into his sleeves and then the bird was there. That would be, that would mystify me. My biggest problem with that, why I couldn't pick it, because it's a really cool trick, is when they show him getting all set up and doing it, we see the contraption like shoot up his arm. How's nobody noticing this? He has people on stage with him. It goes too quick. There's no way. We saw it. It goes too quick. We saw it. Hey, I barely saw it. But you saw it. And that was because they were focusing on it actually going up his sleeve. They weren't, though. It was just a wide shot of him and Cutter in the workshop. Ah. And he's just doing the trick and he pulls his arms back and you could see it go up his sleeve. I feel like somebody would have caught him. Theatrical streaming miniseries. If it was released in 2023, what does it get? Miniseries. Ooh, do we want a miniseries of this? Yes. Because then you could spend an entire episode with Angier, an entire episode with Borden. Right. And and just go back and forth that way of... How, how are they going to come out on top this week? Oh, I would watch it. Yeah. I absolutely would watch. Okay. Netflix, get on that. <laughs> we need this. We need this. I think it just goes to theatrical. I think it, is, it gets a theatrical release. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. Of course, it's going to be put in theaters. Yeah. But I think you're right. I think I would rather have a miniseries mm-hmm. of like 10 episodes of just cool crap. Oh, yeah. Escalating until the final episode. Yeah. Memorabilia. What do you want from this movie? I think I would go with the rubber ball. Since it was so instrumental in the movie. Okay. I think a Tesla coil. Ooh. Where I would put it? No freaking clue. You just want the the big ball. I just want a huge Tesla coil. (laughs) It would be cool. And if I can't have that, Angier's top hat that gets cloned. Ooh, yeah. But like all of them. (laughs) Not just one. I want all of them. (laughs) Where are you going to go with that many top hats? I will wear one a day. For like a year? I don't think there was that many. There was a lot. I wear one a day and then I will start over. Do you think he could just have made a top hat business at that point? Oh, yeah. No. That. How do you think Tesla got his funding in the, for the next project? He took all those hats and sold them. I was going to say, did they make this machine and then just start mass producing clothes? Oh, my God. Wait, is this how Angier got rich? Because it wasn't selling tickets. Did he open up a merch stand and sell replicas of his hat? Mm. Did he invent the merch table? <laughs> Solved. 
Anytime you go to a concert, we can thank Angier for inventing the merch table. Yeah. All right. Awards? Yeah. Let's do this. First up is the psycho shower scene for your favorite scene in the entire movie. I have the final reveal moment of them going through everything and like, this is what actually was happening all along. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Mine is the very first transported man that we see Gordon yeah. do. I think the whole setup of it is amazing. I love the bouncing of the ball across the stage and the other brother catching it. And it's just, it's well shot. It's well acted. It's just, it's perfect. Yeah. And it describes Borden's character amazingly, too. So, love it. <laughs> Next up is the... Life uh, finds a way. ...award for your favorite line in the movie. Mine is, and it's from Tesla, and he says... Because exact science, Mr. Angier, is not an exact science. How true that is. How true, absolutely how true that is. I love science, and everybody assumes that it's always perfect, and it's like, no. Nah. <laughs> it's trial and error and stuff. Even the stuff we think is exact isn't exact science is basically just controlled chaos until you can control it enough to, to get make, that exact science correct to make it look exact but yeah. it's not it's a great line it means so much and bowie's delivery is just spot on yeah mine is from one of the first times when we have the two as their own their helpers and we see the bird into a that gets crushed into the table and Borden sees a little boy crying about it. He goes. See? He's all right. He's fine. Look at him. But where's his brother? This is a massive. Wait, is it the see he's fine? Or no. is it the where's his brother? It's where is his brother. Okay. That is the biggest thing of foreshadowing that I could see in this movie. It tells you so much about what's to come. And I absolutely love that. Yeah, it's pretty good. That it sets up so much. Well, sets up, but foreshadows so much. It's pretty good. It's a great scene, too. That little boy, great actor, just crying repeatedly. Oh, yeah. A new award that we're going to use going forward, and we're calling it the Prestige Award, based off of this movie. And the description for this award is basically the biggest what the f moment in the movie. The biggest WTF moment in the movie. Mine is finding out that they kill the bird in the desk. Oh, yeah. That got me. I honestly thought it was just like a compartment in the desk. Like it's just big enough for the bird to survive. Nope. They just smush a bird every show. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Thank God PETA didn't exist at the time. Oh, they would have been murdered in their sleep. It's kind of cool to see the something I really liked about this was there's like a small subtextual story going on here of like the history of magic because they like talk about how these tricks evolved and they're using like basic tricks and we're watching them evolve as one magician outdoes another. So he has to go bigger and better and do something different. And just, it's a really cool, like look at how magic grew and to see, you know, its origins to what it is today. Yeah. Really cool. My prestige award goes to David Bowie. Cause <laughs> when I found out it was him, it literally just punched me in the face. Just huge stamp across my forehead. WTF. I had no freaking clue that was Bowie. Well, like I said, I have to rewatch his scenes because I still cannot picture that man as David Bowie. But it is. Apparently. Yeah. So maybe that, that's just a big hoax. It's oh, not actually him. That's the magic trick. <gasps> Next up is the Han Shot First Award. Yeah, Oscar. Yes, I bet you have. For what held up the worst since this movie came out, I have the women. Yeah. The women. They are written terribly. The acting is good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not knocking, knocking the actresses. Yeah. It's the characters. They're written poorly. They serve no purpose other than ha 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 ha. I took your woman and now we will fight more. Ha 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 ha. I hate it. I hate it. Holds up terribly. That is fair. Mine is the length. It's just long. There's bits that just took way too long for me. And I think I looked at it halfway through and I was like, oh my gosh, we still have halfway to go for this. So cut down that length and it would probably be better. Our last award is the I'm Paul Rudd and I adapt award for what held up the best since this movie came out. Go ahead. For me, it's the foreshadowing. It is all the little wink, wink, nudge, nudge moments of like, this is what's actually happening. And you could potentially find out what's going on before we reveal it at the end. Not that you're likely to, but you could have. Mine is the performances by the two leads, by Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. 
they embrace these roles, they live these roles, and it's a nice departure from what we had just seen them doing in their big superhero franchises. And so to be able to lose themselves so completely in a role and pull off such great performances, kudos. Yeah. All right. That's it for the awards. So what do we do next? Final thoughts and decisions. I'm honestly going to say this movie holds up. It is a movie that I'm going to go back and watch again and again, just so I can see all the little bits of foreshadowing that I can find. And it's a fun story to watch. Hard. So I won't watch it all the time, but I will go back and rewatch it. I'm with you on that. And I think for the same exact reason, I think this movie has such a rewatchable quality because of all the foreshadowing. Performances are fantastic. It's a beautiful movie. Everything works in it, even if it's a little long. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode all about 2006's The Prestige by Christopher Nolan, starring a hell of a cast. Let us know in the comments what you think about this movie. You can also join us over on social media, TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff by clicking the link in the description of this episode. That'll tell you where we're available. And if you want to hear our thoughts about new movies, come subscribe to us on YouTube where we do new movie reviews. Over the weekend, we just had a review out for the brand new Disney movie, Haunted Mansion, a remake or reboot of 2003's Haunted Mansion based on the Disney attraction. And we also had an early review out for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. That is quite the name. It That's a long name. But if you're interested in those movies and you're not sure if you want to see them, come visit us over on YouTube, give us a subscribe, and check those out. Next week, we are covering something to do with space. Space, 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 space. Yeah. <laughs> so come join us again next week to find out if another one of your favorite movies holds up to today's standards. And until then, remember that you're a legend. You are loved. You are amazing. So be good to yourself. But more importantly, be kind to others and keep watching movies. Bye. Bye.